I'll start the podcast. Yeah, I guess we should start the podcast. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Um, this is crime culture. I right, immediately we should start the podcast. Um, What's the podcast called? <laughs> it's always good to say um before you. I I think panicked. Of your podcast I for- name. I forgot the name of the podcast and I panicked. That's okay. It happens. It happens to everyone. Every once in a while, you forget what you're doing. Just like while you're every so it. often, yes. It's just that's what that's how it is. That's right. But speaking of hosting, I'm one of the hosts. I'm Caitlin. You are. I and am. I'm Haley. She's the other one of the hosts. The other one. The other one. Just the other one. Yep. And anyway, I was gonna say, should we like dig on in? Yeah, what I feel like this do? is going to be probably kind of a long one because of Not, the uh, like extensive subject matter. Yeah, I learned from my mistakes with Selena Quintanilla. Um, so I'm gonna because same thing, massive icon, so massive much to music cover. Icon, yes, massive music icon, mm-hmm. so much to cover, so little time. Yeah. So we're gonna go like his like basically his, like his godfather was a high ranking member of the Black Panther Party like he's got a lot of family in that I can't even I I'm gonna I can't even like yeah it, I there's so much to include that I can't and people are now listening going even you can't even um so for a third so time it, I can't even yeah so I mean everyone knows what we're gonna be talking about today because of they read the, the title. The, of the title. So, yeah, we're doing the murders of Tupac and Biggie. So, Tupac was first. Yeah. So, Sucks, here we go. but here we go. Yeah. So. So now you get a spoiler for next week, too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Tupac Shakur was born in Harlem, New York, as Lassane Parrish Crooks on... On June 16th, 1971, to Alice Faye Williams and Billy Garland. Mm-hmm. And like I'd mentioned, I touched upon previously, lots of Black Panther. His dad was a Black Panther. Um, he lost contact with t- Tupac and Afeni when Tupac was five years old. Um, and that's where I guess I should mention that Tupac's mother changed her name to Afeni. Um, oh, interesting. She, when she became inundated in the black panther movement what is she, the black panther movement sorry if i'm being very ignorant to this no it's okay so the black panthers were a i i don't want to i i've got to be very like i i want to be careful with how i word this because they're it's like how feminists are seen as like bra burning like yeah you don't want to do bi- yeah. like sweeping generalizations I'm, yes yes but they were a political organization Okay. Um, they were so the Black Panther Party. It was originally called like the Black Panther Party for Self Defense, okay. and so it like it was very like it's like again it's hard like you know how Antifa is very 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 far right. They were yeah. very 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 far left, but okay. they were against things like racism and fascism and Marxism and Leninism. Um, okay, like. They they were heavily into black nationalism, but that okay. has since been like they've calmed a lot down. 
like it used to okay. be it's very still a violent. Party? It's still yeah. an active. Okay. Yeah, it's still it's still going around. There are people who like. I feel I'm like I've never think, heard of it. Um, we actually talked about it on the Manson episode because when they attacked the Tate House, mm-hmm. they drew the symbol of the Black Panther in blood on the oh, wall because okay. the Black Panthers were known for being violent at that, or they had a reputation for being violent at that time. Yeah, and they were, wanted to incite a race war, so that's why. Yes, they, they yes, yes. Okay. Um, but that's not and really so, what they were about. They were and Tupac's family is like big in this. Yes. Uh, party yes okay. um but like they're they're very like they're they're very into just it like i guess the best way i can put it like anti-racism that's really what they yeah. like especially now and it used to be like so malcolm x used to promote violence and then later took a non-violent stance uh-huh and so it's just how malcolm x evolved they also evolved they didn't necessarily do it in line with one another but it's like it's it's they're they're not they have a they get a bad rap okay but like there there are elected officials who were members of the of the party Mm -hmm. like they're they're very there are very good people very prominent people who are members of it because they're not just like bad people that's just yeah the reputation that they get Okay. And well, actually, that out that also plays into, um, they get that they also partially get that reputation for being black, as many people oh, okay. like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. How like with the Black Lives Matter movement and the pl- the Blue Lives Matter movement? I almost called it the Police Lives Matter movement. Um, how black people are currently being ostracized and being told like, oh, like you're the one causing problems and things like that. Mm-hmm. that's you'll you'll see further that plays a huge role in or rather the lack of truth in it plays a huge role in tupac's messages and sound okay um but getting into it so yeah so tupac his father lost contact with his mom and he him i don't know grammar and he wouldn't see his dad again until he was 23 years old Oh, wow. So yes. from 5 to 23, he didn't know his own dad. Yes. Wow. Um, and he said during an interview with Kevin Powell for Vibe magazine in 1996, I thought my father was dead all my life. I felt I needed a daddy to show me the ropes, and I didn't have one, end quote. Aw. Yeah, like super sad, really fucked up. Yeah. And he's also, he's a very sensitive soul, which I'll get into. And like, you can, like... I can't I don't want to picture that little kid like nobody yeah. wants like it's uh, but yeah so a Fanny Williams is a Fanny a Fanny whose former name was Williams her her name is now a Fanny Shakur um okay or was now she died in 2016 um she got pregnant with Tupac in 1970 while she was on bail after being charged with conspiring to start a race war oh. um Tupac was actually born a month after his mom was acquitted of over 150 charges of conspiracy against the United States government and New York landmarks in the New York Panther 21 trial. Wow. Yeah. And she was acquitted after, like, we've seen this before where it does not work out well. She defended herself in court successfully. Whoa. Yeah. And they said that, like, she displayed, and by they, I just mean, like, 
the people who were present. Like, she had such a yeah. gift for public speaking. Like, wow. oration, all of it. And that is something that has clear, had, had clearly been passed down to Tupac. Yeah. That he got that yeah, from yeah. her. So, two years after she had Tupac, she gave birth to a daughter, Sakia. And um, Sakia and Tupac also had an older stepbrother, Moprim Komani Shakur. Shakur. Um, and Moprim actually performed in a lot of Tupac's recordings. Interesting. So, yeah, so kept it in the family. But like Garland, Sakia's father and Tupac's stepfather, Matulu Shakur, did not stick around for that long. He eventually left too. Mm. Um, but after fully joining the Black Party, in addition to changing her own name, Afeni changed her son's name to Tupac Amaru II who was an 18th century Peruvian revolutionary and he was executed after leading an indigenous uprising against the Spanish. So you see what I mean? Like, yeah, very reflective of like what the black Panther party, the movement was trying to do. Yeah. And the name Tupac derives from the Quechua word Tupac or, or maybe it's T H U P A Q. So it could be, it could still be Tupac or it could be Tupac. Okay. um, But it means Royal. Oh, and right. Afeni later said, quote, I wanted him to have the name of revolutionary indigenous people in the world. I wanted him to know he was part of a world culture and not just from a neighborhood, end quote. Wow. Um, and like I said, his father was Garland, but Tupac later took on the surname of his stepfather. So mm. that's how we got Tupac Shakur. All right. So then as a single mom, Afeni really, she tried, but she like... Anybody who knows single moms knows of single moms. She she really tried to make money and provide for a good life for her kids, but it's impossible, um, especially in those circumstances. They moved a lot. Sometimes they stayed in shelters. Um, they went from Harlem to Baltimore um, to San Francisco. Like, they, they moved all over the place. Yeah. And um, when they got to Baltimore... Um, so Tupac completed his second year of high school at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School and then transferred to the Baltimore School for the Arts. And it was there for there at the Baltimore School for the Arts that Tupac said he was, quote, the freest I ever felt, end quote. Aw. Yeah. He studied acting, poetry, jazz, ballet. Um, he performed in Shakespearean plays. He even, like, landed the role of the Mouse King in the school's production of the Nutcracker, like, mm. the Nutcracker Ballet. Yeah. Um, and he just, he was beloved. He was very popular. He was known for being the best rapper in his school. He would win math comp- math competitions, Jesus Christ, rap competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, what he would be accompanied by one of his friends dana mouse smith who would beatbox while he rapped and they would win to all these competitions and while he was also at this high school he met and became friends with jada pinkett smith the actress oh i didn't know that uh-huh um she actually made a cameo in, in the music video for his track strictly for number four my niggas with a z and please I am so uncomfortable saying that word. <laughs> Please don't come for me. I just it's the just only a reason song title. And that's the only reason. It's a song and it's an album title. And that's okay. the only reason why I why I'm saying it because it is what it is called. Um because I like oh, whew, I'm not comfortable. Um 
So Tupac also became affiliated at this time with the Baltimore Young Communist League USA and actually began dating the daughter of the director of the local chapter of the Communist Party USA. Mm. So that happened. Um, But Baltimore wasn't like whether it was like it just it didn't work out for the Shakurs. Um, Their neighborhood was really crime ridden Mm. and it wasn't safe. And so Afani decided that she was going to move the family to Marin City, California, which is about five miles north of San Francisco. It's like a little suburban city. And she just really wanted to give her kids a better life. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, According to Robert Sam Anderson's posthumous article on Tupac or Vanity Fair, which he published in 1997, Marin City was a, quote, mean little ghetto, end quote. Ooh. Um, And it was, in fact, there that Afeni fell into an addiction to crack cocaine, um, which Tupac would go on to sell on the same streets that his mom bought her supply from. Wow. Yeah. So even still, Tupac's love of hip hop kept him away from like a life of crime. He did what he had Mm -hmm. to do to survive, but he was by no means a career criminal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he actually was obsessed with writing poetry as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's a line, quote, the world moves fast and it would rather pass you by than to stop and see what makes you cry, end quote. And wow. all of the U's are letter U's. The twos are number twos. Mm-hmm. C is the letter C. So it, it's yeah, like... it's in like real shorthand. Yeah. Um, but that's just how his style was. Yeah. And that's a verse that he wrote when he was a teenager. Um, And it would eventually be published in the 2000 book, The Rose That Grew From Concrete, um, which featured a lot of excerpts of his writings. Um, So then in the spring of 1989, when he was 17, he met this older white lady named Layla Steinberg in a park. And they struck up a conversation about Winnie Mandela um, and she's she's best known she was a major activist against the apartheid she mm-hmm. was a politician she's known for being the former wife of Nelson Mandela like uh, like so this kid's clearly like very woke and very intelligent um, and obviously Steinberg was impressed and she later remembered him as quote a young man with fan like eyelashes overflowing charisma and the most infectious laugh end quote And that charisma enabled him to convince Steinberg, who had literally zero experience in the music industry, to become his manager. Wow. Um, Yeah. And he also started attending poetry classes of hers. And that same year that they met, she organized a concert with Shakur's group, Strictly Dope, which led to Tupac being signed by music manager and co-founder of West Coast Records, Atron Gregory. Mm-hmm. And Gregory got Tupac a couple gigs. One was as a roadie in 1990, and the other was as a dancer for the hip-hop group Digital Underground. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then Tupac was then able to make his recording deb- debut a year later in 1991 on Same Song, um, an album that was tracked, that soundtracked the... I can't speak. Same song, which soundtracked the Dan Aykroyd comedy, Nothing But Trouble. Um, oh, okay. If you remember that movie at all. Yes. Okay. Um, but so then that October, he also appeared on Digital Underground's album, Sons of the P, 
And after the band's manager, Gregory, took over for Steinberg, he got Tupac a deal with Interscope Records. And a month after the release of Sons of the P came out, Tupac's debut album as a solo artist, Tupacalypse Now, came out. Great title. Yes, it's absolutely amazing. (laughs) Number two, and then capital P for Pac-Ellipse. Now, like just, I love a good pun. You know I love a good pun. And that was a great one. Yes. Um, But the album, so it was impressive in its own right. It didn't yield any commercial hits, but it sold 500,000 copies. Mm -hmm. And it featured songs like Brenda's Got a Baby, which narrates an underage mom becoming destitute. Sound familiar? Yeah. And Soldier's Story, which talked about, quote, blasting, end quote, a police officer and, end quote, and quote, unquote, dropping the cop, dropping the cop. Mm. Um, this is going to be the whitest. Oh, God. Um, this so, is going to be really white next two episodes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it established Tupac as an uncompromising social commentator. He was a feminist. He was like if if he were alive today he would be pro black lives matter like yeah. he was all about like police brutality regarding race and just and insuf- like what's the word that i'm looking for um inequality amongst the classes and yeah, with bringing the awareness wealth disparity. to all these different issues absolutely um like some of his songs like Brenda's got a baby and then one more that we're going to mention in a bit just like they were feminist anthems two mm-hmm. more now that i think about it but either way um but so soldier's story was cited then as the motivation for a real life cop killing by a teenage car thief named ronald ray howard oh and yeah and then as a result was condemned by the then u.s vice president dan quayle who said quote there is absolutely no reason for a record like this to be published it has no place in our society end quote hmm and that condemnation basically sealed Tupac's fate as being like a voice against a voice for the people yeah. for un, like groups that are otherwise discriminated against and like against the man and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So like his words meant something. Um, so then in August 1982, Tupac was attacked by a bunch of jealous punk ass kids in Marin City. And during the tussle, he grabbed his gun, but in the confusion he just dropped it and at that point somebody picked it up nobody knows who the gun went off and a six-year-old bystander named quade walker teal was hit and killed oh yes and um tupac was not charged for the kid's death but he was apparently a fucking mess he was inconsolable yeah he, he was so heartbroken um and and nobody knows who picked up the gun Mm. um but walker teal's family then went on to file a civil suit against shakur in 1995 but they settled it out of court after an unnamed record label some think it might have actually been death row records who we'll get to in a minute mm-hmm. offered the family compensation between three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars wow yeah um so then on february 13th 1993 tupac's second album strictly for my niggas um dropped continuing in the same like what's the word i'm looking for like socially conscious vein as Mm -hmm. was in his debut and on the single um that was the main single for the album it ended up being gold certified and it's called keep your head up Mm -hmm. he empathized with quote my sisters on the welfare end quote 
and encouraged them to, quote, please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up, end quote. Mm. See, and that's what I mean, like the feminist thoughts and beliefs yeah. coming through. Um, so then in October 1993, Tupac shot and wounded two white off-duty cops in Atlanta, one in the ass and mm. one in the torso um during an altercation and went to court over it and it was then that it came out in court that the cops had been drinking when they initiated the the incident um one of the the cops had threatened tupac with a stolen gun and basically like they did not do it by the book and so the charges were dropped um it was less like like he was being portrayed as this like gangbanger but it was less of that and more like he did it in self-defense yeah um however the kate regardless of all of that the case illustrated a point that tupac had been making in his music regarding the misrepresentation of african-american males and the unfair attitude and prejudice shown to them by police officers yeah or, sound familiar yeah i was about to say like <laughs> a lot of his stuff still lands today um so he did go to jail though for 15 days in 1994 for the assault of director alan hughes who had fired him from the set of the movie menace to society number two um for his disruptive conduct mm. i i remember that movie i don't know i i i don't remember the last time i watched it It was a very long time ago but i do remember the movie and i was like huh it's not what in he heavy rotation it's not no <laughs> surprisingly but even with the all of this controversy like his fame and his popularity kept growing and before he released his third album there was some more trouble uh in november 1984 he was shot multiple times by two young black men in the lobby of quad which was a manhattan recording studio no one was Mm -hmm. ever charged but tupac always believed that it was biggie who we'll get Mm -hmm. to next week um and given that he was his rap rival he felt that he was the one that was behind the shooting Mm -hmm. but smalls always denied knowing anything about the shooting and in 2011 a new york prison inmate named dexter isaac who was serving a life sentence for an unrelated crime claimed that he was paid to steal from shakur by artist manager and mogul james henchman rosemond and that it was him who shot the rapper during the robbery okay but again we don't know Ted Bundy yeah. also said he didn't do it, so we don't know. Yeah. Um, so then, in response to this, Tupac would actually go on to release a diss track titled Hit Him Up in June 1996, which we'll get to in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the track was direct, directly aimed at Biggie Smalls, along with Lil' Kim, Junior Mafia, and Prodigy of Mob Deep, um, as well as the head of Smalls' record label, Bad Boy Records, Sean Combs, aka mm-hmm. puffy aka puff diddy aka puff lives, daddy uh, aka me. p diddy aka diddy no way yeah or at least he did live near me i know because there's a uh, a big like gate by the driveway and it has like a giant sc on it <laughs> sean john um yes. everything is done in sean john um but so the track was it's very it's very chilling because it seemed to predict Tupac's death and the conspiracy theories that would follow. Mm. Um, and then, for example, like, here's an excerpt. Quote, grab your Glocks when you see Tupac. Call the cops when you see Tupac. Uh, who shot me, but your punks didn't finish. Now you're about to feel the wrath of a menace. End quote. Mm. 
and like remember remember those details like remember the glocks remember shot me but you didn't finish like all that all that stuff like plays in later yeah so then back to the diss track though this didn't really do anything except like ramp up the tension between like not just biggie and tupac but also like the east coast west coast rivalry yeah and like it it honestly like i i'd be remiss to find a bigger feud in hip-hop like yeah it's i that's probably to date the biggest ugliest feud in hip-hop it's still even talked about yeah and it's still people are still fighting over it yeah but um as we as we will in this episode and the next episode yeah because we are an east coast west coast podcast we are biggie and tupac no um so then in february 1995 tupac was sentenced to between one and a half and four and a half years of jail time for sexually abusing a female fan the case was related to an incident that had taken place in Tupac's suite at the New York Parker Meridian Hotel in November 1993. Tupac maintained his innocence, but conceded to that vibe journalist we mentioned before, Kevin Powell, yeah. that he could have presented, pre- prevented the people who were present in the suite at the time from raping the girl. Mm. Um, and he said, quote, I had a job to protect her. He said, expressing his sorrow over the incident, and I never showed up. End quote. Mm. So, like, still, like, not great, but still, like, a sensitive guy. Yeah. Um, at this time, his third solo album, which was aptly titled Me Against the World, came mm. out March 14th, 1995, while he was in jail on the rape charge. It hit number one on the Billboard 200 chart and is considered by many to be his greatest work. Cheo H. Coker wrote in Rolling Stone that it was, quote, by and large, a work of pain, anger, and burning desperation, end quote. Mm. But I had mentioned feminist tracks before. There was a little vulnerability to all of his work, but especially in the track, there, it, it, or I guess it was, it was the lead single off the album, and it's titled mm-hmm. Dear Mama, which was a what some call tear-jerking tribute to his mom, if any. Mm-hmm. And that track reached number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 in April 1995. So, wow. despite being in prison, 1995 was a busy ass year for Tupac. And along with his album release and his single hitting number nine, he married Keisha Morris on November on April 29th. Excuse me, I don't know where November came from. Um, he married her on April 29th, 1995, while he was serving his sentence. And they had met, like, several years earlier at a nightclub when she was 20 and he was 21. Or several months earlier, excuse me. I'm, like, all over the place today. <laughs> you can read slower. It's okay. I can't. We time. got a lot. Um, we're on time for now. Um, so they got married. And also, while he was in prison, he was visited by Marion Suge Knight. We all know Suge Knight. Yes. He's the, he, and at that time, he was the head of Death Row Records. And he offered to post the $1.3 million bail Tupac needed to be released um, after his appeal on the condition that Tupac sign a $3.5 million record deal with the Death Row, with Death Row Records. And mm-hmm. Tupac was like, yes, where do I sign? Like, okay, yes. let's do this. You'll get me out of here? Yes. Yeah. 
so he was then and that's also the record company that i mentioned before that may or may not have paid off that little boy quaid teal's death um family Mm -hmm. but so he was then tupac was then released from the high security danamora prison in new york in october 1995 and one week after his release an annulment for his marriage to Morris was filed, with it officially ending in March 1996. However, they remained good friends until his death. But they were only married for like a minute. Yeah, but you can be friends. Maybe things weren't working out. I guess. Um, but soon after the marriage ended, he began dating Kadeda Jones, a.k.a. Rashida Jones's sister. Uh, oh, shit. Peggy Lipton's daughter, Peggy Lipton from Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. Um, and they met at a club when Tupac apologized for insulting her dad, Quincy Jones, another musical icon, for uh-huh. only dating white women like Peggy Lipton. Oh. So, and then, okay. so they, so then they got together. And in February 1996, Tupac's debut album for Death Row was the double length album All Eyes on Me with Z at the end of Eyes. Um, and he released that, and his new hip-hop group, Outlaws, made their debut on the album. And All Eyes on Me was seen as an unapologetic celebration of the thug lifestyle, which really is a different turn from the previously like socially conscious, sensitive lyrics that had yeah. been associated with Tupac's music. Instead, it was mm-hmm. more about menace and gangsta funk he- hedonism. And okay. um, especially Gangsta Funk that had been pioneered by Dr. Dre with N.W.A. And mm-hmm. he produced the album's first single, which I'm sure many people know, California Love. Of um, course. I was, going, I was about to say, you especially know it. You put it on our road trip playlist when we moved out here. I did. Um, it was all California tracks on spotify and i say tracks because at one point there were just whale noises filling the car or the truck yep i think we've talked about this before we've definitely talked about it because it's it's iconic yeah um at least anything that had california in the title yes anything that had any california city california like anything anything los angeles santa monica san francisco anything that i saw that was california related all of it went on your playlist there was a fucking um what's his name george carlin sketch on at one point like it was just it was an amalgamation of everything california um but i digress so california love went on to number one on the billboard hot 100 um it earned tupac and mtv vma nomination for best rap video um like we just were alluding to it's today like still known as like tupac's best song best known Mm -hmm. song excuse me um but so then the third single from the album, How Do You Want It, was best known for its B track, Hit Em Up, which was that diss track that I was mentioning yeah. earlier. And that also hit number one. And within two months of its release, All Eyes on Me had been certified five times double platinum. And it would eventually be certified nine times platinum by June 1998 and ten times platinum in July 2014. Jeez. I know. And it remains one of the highest-selling rap albums of all time, with over 5 million copies of the album selling in the United States alone by April 1996. Wow. Yeah. He, he was... A big deal. Yeah, he, that's exactly it. Like, he, it was a big deal. He was a big deal. So then, 
at the same time as he was and i felt this was important to put in i know it's not really like music or crime related or anything but he's promoting this like badass like gangsta funk like outlaw lifestyle for death row mm-hmm. at this same time he was financing an at-risk youth center um quietly yeah financing south central sports teams like a bunch of them um he helped establish a telephone helpline for young people with problems like he was trying to do well keep his yeah he was trying to keep his uh sincerity and everything that he originally had in his music i mean yes and no like people didn't really know about that side of him yeah they didn't know he was doing these things Mm -hmm. um but so then he like he and this is understandable given how sensitive he clearly is and then how I don't even know how to describe it. Just how like menacing his lyrics in his Death Row Records albums were. Yeah. Um, he often would say that he was misunderstood. Um, mm-hmm. And he told journalist Chuck Phillips, quote, everything in life is not all beautiful. There's lots of killing and drugs. To me, a perfect album talks about the hard stuff and the fun and caring stuff. The thing that bothers me is that it seems like a lot of the sensitive stuff I write just goes unnoticed, end quote. Yeah. So, like, Homeboy had a heart of gold, basically. Um, So now, here comes the heavy. On September 7th, 1996, Tupac was in Las Vegas with Suge Knight to watch a Mike Tyson fight. Tyson was a friend of his. He actually walked out to, I think it was Let's Do This, or Uh something. I I, I better not say just because I don't want to fuck it up. Um, But he walked out to... He walked out to one of Tupac's songs that night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and immediately knocked the guy out, like just fucked him up. Um, yeah. So that was at the MGM Grand. And after they left the match, one of Knight's associates, Trayvon Trey Lane, who was an MOB Peru, that's that's like a gang. Um, that's the whitest thing I think I could have ever said. Oh my God. <laughs> that's, you know, that's like a gang. Um but he saw Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, who was a Crips member from Compton in the MGM Grand Lobby. And mm-hmm. earlier that year, in May of 1996, Anderson and a group of Southside Crips had attempted to rob Lane in a footlocker. Like you do. Yeah. Um, so then when Lane told Tupac, like, hey, that's that guy over there, he attacked Anderson. Um, he went over to him, asked him if he was from the South, which is the Southside Compton Crips. Yeah. And then he punched him in the face and knocked him to the ground. Um, Good. And then, cute. yeah, super cute, super sensitive, super sweet. And then Knight, who was involved with the Bloods, who were a direct rival of the Crips. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, people know. People know that feud. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Luis. I'm thinking of our British listeners. I'm thinking of okay. our listeners that do not know the Bloods and the Crips. I'm pretty sure they know it, too. <laughs> Let us know if you know who they are. We had a lovely girl in Australia um, yesterday comment on our Instagram, and she was like, just so you know, there are Westfield malls here, too. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> no, Australia's a, d- a different world. It's a whole different planet. Their toilets go backwards. Um, <laughs> but no, so 
Yes, so Knight was involved with the Bloods, who were very much not involved with the Crips. And so Knight and his entourage joined the fight then. So it was just a complete melee. Um, The fight was captured on the hotel's video surveillance, and it was broken up by hotel security. And then afterwards, Tupac went with Knight back to his hotel room. And he was talking to his girlfriend, Jones, about his involvement in the fight. Um, Mm -hmm. and just like, as if nothing had happened, like very, very nonchalantly, like changed his clothes and he and Knight were going to go to a club that Knight owned called 662, which has since closed. So then here's where we get into the tough stuff at 11, 11 PM around there, Pacific time, Tupac and Knight were stopped on Las Vegas Boulevard by officers from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department Mm -hmm. by their bike patrol, um, because that's a thing, for playing their stereo in their car too loudly and not having license plates. So they got out, they showed them that the plates were in the trunk of Knight's car, and they were released a couple of minutes later with no citations. Okay. At 11.10 p.m., they were stopped at a red light at the intersection of East Flamingo Road and Coval Lane in front of the Maxim Hotel, at which point a vehicle occupied by two women pulled up on their left side. Mm -hmm. So Tupac, who was talking through the window of Knight's BMW, talked with the two ladies for a minute, invited them to join them at 662, and then at 11.15 p.m., a white Cadillac Escalade pulled up next to the car and a man rolled down the window of the Escalade and fired 13 shots. Mm. Tupac was struck by four .40 caliber rounds fired from a Glock, mm. like in his lyrics. Um, one in the arm, one in the thigh, and two in the chest, with one of those bullets going right into his right lung. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, Knight, meanwhile, was hit in the head by fragmentation. So then Tupac's bodyguard, Frank Alexander, later said that he was about to ride along with Tupac in Knight's car, but Tupac asked him to drive Jones, his girlfriend's car, instead with the outlaws. Mm. Alexander then reported in the documentary Before I Wake that shortly after the assault, one of the convoy's cars followed the shooters, but never heard from them, like could not get a hold of them. Mm hmm. So then Yaki Kadafi, which was, uh, who was, he's a person, my bad. Um, he was riding in the car behind Shakur with the bodyguards at the time. Yeah. Um, he and along with other members of Death Row Entourage were refused, allegedly refusing to cooperate with officers during the investigation. And we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, so despite his injury and the BMW having a flat tire from the gunshots, Knight drove Shakur and himself a mile from the scene to Las Vegas Boulevard and Harmon Avenue. It was there that they were pulled over by the bike patrol who called for paramedics over the radio. And after Mm -hmm. arriving on the scene, the police and the paramedics were like, okay, we need to get you guys to the hospital. And they were later transported to the University Medical Center of Southern Nevada. But um, according to retired Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Sergeant Chris Carroll, who was on bicycle patrol that night and was the first officer on the scene... Um, he spoke with E! News in 2014, and he said, quote, As soon as everybody came to a stop, bam, all the doors opened up, pretty much everybody got out, and I thought for sure it was going to be a shooting. 
At the time, mm. we have no other information than that there's been a shooting and that these cars are running from the police. I figured one of the people in the cars was the shooter, at least. We don't know who's chasing who or why. So when they got there, I pulled out my gun and I was trying to tell everybody, yelling at them, to get down on the ground. Some of them did and some of them didn't. It was kind of a passive resistance. Some of them kind of looked at each other like, do we listen to him? What are we going to do here? Mm. They kind of unwillingly complied. End quote. Um, And then it was at that time that Carol noticed that there was one person still in the passenger seat of the Beamer. And he went over to the car and said to the man, like, you got to get out. And at first he couldn't get the car door open, but then Knight got out. And Carol recalled that Knight was, quote, running around and yelling, blood flying out of the side of his head, but he's acting like he's not hurt at all. I had to point my gun at him and say, get back, end quote. Mm. I'm not liking how this dude is treating this. Like, this is exactly what Tupac was talking about. Yeah, exactly. And also, he's running around like he hasn't been injured. Well, that's called adrenaline. Shock. And he probably, yeah, shock and adrenaline. And he probably doesn't even know what's going on yet. Yeah. Um, But so, Carol finally gets the door open. And he could see that the man who he would later learn was Tupac was in bad shape. And according to Tiana Lee McKiller and Frank Johnson's 2010 biography, Tupac Shakur, once they laid Tupac out onto the pavement, he said to Alexander, his bodyguard, quote, Frank, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. End quote. Um, again, shot in the right lung. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so then Carol said Tupac refused to say who shot him. When asked if he saw the person or people who shot him, Tupac allegedly responded with fuck you, which were said to be his last words. Yeah, I he- I've heard that. However, paramedics and other officers at the scene did not report hearing Tupac say those words, nor did Suge Knight or Frank Alexander. Interesting. And, okay. uh, and this, the person that, again, like Carol is saying that Tupac said fuck you to him. I don't see him as a reliable narrator based on how he's been talking about all of the people yeah. involved with this so far that's, that's just true. me and he's just one person saying something he's and everybody else one is like, person saying uh, it we didn't hear that and also he's saying this like 10 years later 20 years later yeah he's saying it like tw- less than 20 years later wouldn't that be something you would mention yeah like it would have made huge news oh tupac's last words were fuck you to a cop like i mean come on and not mm. even a cop a bike cop but anyway um so then, according to an interview with music video director Gobi Rahimi, while at the hospital, he received news from a death row marketing employee that the shooters had previously called the record label and threatened Shakur. Um, mm. I, I've, and I've been trying to... Uh, so here's the thing. So it's very hard for me to not call Tupac Shakur, but because his mother's last name is also Shakur, and she's also coming up in a bit... I just, I'm going to fuck up. But if I say it, I mean him. Okay. So Gobi told the Las Vegas police, but they claimed to be understaffed. Or he said that they claimed to be understaffed. Okay. So they did not follow up on that lead. Um, then he, Tupac said that he was dying while being carried into the emergency department. And he's been shot before. I feel like he would know. Hmm. That was that was my thought with this whole thing. But at the hospital, he was heavily sedated. He was put on life support. And ultimately, he was put in a medically induced coma after he kept trying to get out of bed. Mm. 
and he was visited by his girlfriend, Jones. Um, she found out and she immediately went over to the hospital and along with his mother, like they stayed by his side throughout the entire ordeal. Yeah. And he actually regained consciousness when she played Don McLean's Vincent on the CD player, LOL, next to his bed. Mm-hmm. Um, remember a CD player? Oh, I miss it. I still have one. I have one in my car and I love it. I still I still use it because I can't afford Spotify premium. LOL. Um, <laughs> T. Speaking of which, join, uh, join our Patreon. <laughs> yes. Join our Patreon. Also, listen on Spotify. Um, yes. But so, according to Jones, when she played Vincent, Tupac moaned and, like, looked up, and his eyes were filled with mucus and swollen, um, end quote. And Jones told Tupac that she loved him. Oh, Yeah. So then, Knight was released from the hospital the day after the shooting, on September mm-hmm. 8th, but he didn't talk about the incident until September 11th. Or I guess, I guess not the day after the shooting, because it was on... Well, no, I guess it was the day after the shooting. I don't know my days. Okay, that's fine. Um, I got confused with midnight, as happens <laughs> with, with me. I got confused with midnight. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. Please. On a nice coaster. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so he didn't talk about it until September 11th. Um, but he told officers he, quote, heard something but saw nothing, end quote, the night of the shooting. Mm-hmm. As the driver... I don't know, man. But a spokesman for the officers said Knight's statement did nothing to help the investigation. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. And officers at the time of Shakur's hospitalization reported having no leads, despite the fact that people were coming to them. Like that dude that was the music video director. Yeah. So then Sergeant Kevin Manning said during the week, he was the, the investigative officer in charge of the entire thing basically he was in charge of the entire investigation Mm -hmm. um he said during the week that officers did not receive a whole lot of cooperation end quote from tupac's entourage Mm -hmm. and rahimi and members of outlaws tupac's project group thing um they guarded tupac while he stayed in the hospital because they were scared that whoever got shot that whoever shot him was quote gonna come finish him off end quote Mm. again a callback to his like his diss track yes which i was like yo um it's all coming together it it's it's pretty spooky to me like i mean i'm not one to get behind all of that Uh but it's pretty it's pretty spooky it's pretty spooky but regardless, nobody came to the hospital. Um, Rahimi had mentioned that the outlaws had possibly brought weapons with them to protect him. And also, I find it simultaneously sweet and sad. It's nice that they care about him so much that they were like, we have to protect him. Uh-huh. Um, but also, there should have been a cop guarding the door. Yeah. Like, 100%. There should have been cops exactly. guarding the door. Um, so, regardless, um, while in the critical care unit on the afternoon of Friday, September 13th, 1996, Shakur, Tupac, 
um, died of respiratory failure that led to cardiac arrest after the removal of his right lung. Doctors supposedly attempted to revive him, but couldn't stop the hemorrhaging. Mm. And his mother, Afeni, who had been by his side, like I said, along with Jones the entire time, made the decision to cease medical treatment. And he was pronounced dead six days after the shooting at 4.03 p.m. He was 25 years old. I always forget how young he was. I know. It's super, like, when I was researching this case and I read about that, I was like, fuck, because, like, I'm 25. Yeah. And the fact that he also accomplished so much at 25. Yeah, but exactly. died so young. I can't imagine one of my friends at this age just being dead. Yeah. Like, it's not... It, it's hard enough to... A lot of friends of mine have lost parents recently and that's hard enough to like yeah. wrap my head around that we're at that age where we can there's a possibility of losing a parent losing a yeah. peer that's I know. that's call it privilege but yeah it yeah is, it's it is absolutely it is, it's absolute privilege but yeah. it's it's also it's extremely alarming and my heart goes out to anybody who is a member of that club which nobody ever wants to be part of yeah but um Tupac's body was cremated, which will fuel fuel theories later. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no body. Um, but members of that's what happens during cremation. There is no body. Yeah, exactly. So the outlaws actually made a controversial cl- controversial claim that they had smoked some of his ashes mm. in his honor. I don't know if that's in his honor. I don't that's know about any creepy. of it. I, I highly doubt that actually happened because his mother appeared to have been in possession of the ashes. She said that she was going to yeah. scatter them in Soweto, South, South Africa, the, quote, birthplace of his ancestors, end quote. And initially she said she was going to do this on the 10th anniversary of his murder, but she later changed that date to June 16th, 1997, which would have been his 26th birthday, uh-huh. along with the 1976, the anniversary of the 1976 Soweto uprising. Mm, okay. So both like his personal history and then like his ancestral history and they kind yeah. of combined. But one year after the shooting, Manning told the Las Vegas Sun investigative reporter Kathy Scott that Tupac's murder, quote, may never be solved, end quote. And mm. the case slowed down early in the investigation, he said. And a, a couple new clues came in, but not a lot. Witnesses would not talk. And he said that the investigation was at a standstill. Meanwhile, and I love this quote, EDI Mean, who was a collaborator of Tupac's, he was a member of Outlaws, said that he was positive law enforcement knew what happened and added quote this is the best quote this is america we found bin laden end quote i mean yeah like yeah but also woof i love that quote we found bin laden it was las vegas after a mike tyson fight oh and and there's more you're telling me there weren't more witnesses? Shush, shush, shush. Take a lock. Um, so then, uh, in November 1986, just eight weeks after Tupac's death, 
His fifth album was posthumously released, and it was titled Don Killuminati. Again, fucking puns. They're amazing. Um, but it was titled Don Killuminati, The Seven Day Theory. And like his previous album, All Eyes on Me, it also reached number one on the charts. And actually, Tupac recorded a ton of material that had not yet been released upon his death. And it culminated Uh in a total. I did not know this. It culminated in a total of six studio albums, which were released posthumously up to and including Pac's life in 2006. Wow. Yeah. So theoretically, he was still creating music. 10 years after his death but was he though he recorded all of the tracks they just it was how do i put this he he recorded a ton of materials all the the tracks from his island in fiji where he escaped to no (laughs) shut your mouth shut your whore mouth stop it everyone knows the theory oh we'll get into it we'll get into it um i just but i just found that incredible that he recorded that much material crazy fucking six albums worth of material shit man like yeah he has a good backlog yeah we have zero backlog one of us gets shot that's the end of this um but so then twice in 1999 and 2003 his posthumous albums tracks earned him two mtv vma nominations for best rap video um so he's been nominated for that three times two of those times were after he died yeah and then in 2005 rolling stone readers voted tupac as number 86 of the 100 immortal artists of all time behind elvis presley michael jackson and john lennon another one that we spoke about Mm -hmm. and the following year in 2006 um mtv ranked him at number two on their list of the greatest mcs of all time and in 2002, Shakur was inducted. God damn it. Tupac. Tupac. Um, he was inducted into the Hip Hop Hall of Fame. And he was also inducted into the Library of Congress's National Reading Registry on oh, wow. June 23rd. The recording registry, excuse me, on June 23rd, 2010. And also, not surprisingly, he was nominated for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in December 2016, which was his first year of eligibility. And he was inducted wow. on April 7th, 2017. Damn. Yeah, damn indeed. Like, unfucking believable. Truly. Like, I just. Legend. Absolutely. Absolutely a legend. But so, to get into the pop culture side of things a little bit, we're going to start with something that's slightly pop culture, slightly crime, and we're going to just kind of like ease our way into it like it's a nice pool. Okay. So, in 2002, we're going to dip our toe. The Los Angeles Times published a two-part story by Phillips, the journalist that Tupac spoke with before about being misunderstood, Yeah. titled, Who Killed Tupac Shakur? And after a year-long investigation, Phillips reported that, quote, the shooting was carried out by a Compton gang called the Southside Crips to avenge the beating of one of its members by Shakur a few hours earlier. Orlando Anderson, the crip whom Shakur had attacked, fired the fatal shots. Las Vegas police considered Anderson as a suspect and interviewed him only once, briefly. Anderson was killed nearly two years later in an unrelated gang shooting, end quote. Hmm. Phillips' article also implicated East Coast rappers, including Notorious B.I.G. Yep. 
who also, in addition to being Tupac's rival, was murdered in a similar fashion six months after Tupac was. Yeah, which we will get to. We will get to. And he also, Phillips also implicated several New York criminals, which further pushes the East Coast, West Coast thing. Yeah. So then the second article in the series of Phillips um, analyzed the murder investigation and basically came to the conclusion that the Vegas police had mismanaged the investigation. Yeah, I would say so. Oh, you don't even know yet. And you're saying so. So the primary mistakes cited in the article were one. The LVMPD discounted the fight that occurred just before the shooting. Um, The one where he kicked Anderson's ass in the MGM Grand Lobby. Two, they failed to follow up with Gaddafi, who told the police that he witnessed the shooting and he could probably identify one or more of the attackers. Mm -hmm. And then he was killed in a housing project in Irvington, New Jersey, before he could be interviewed. So, but okay. that was two months after Tupac was shot. So they had time to interview him. Yeah. And finally, number three, the police also failed to follow up on a lead from a witness who saw a white Cadillac similar to the car from which the shots were fired and in which the shooters escaped. Mm. They didn't follow up on that either. Like, really. Right. So regarding the second mistake... Manning, that detective, later said that Compton investigators assembled mugshots of several gang members, which included Anderson, and hand-delivered them to Las Vegas. But according to Manning, detectives called Cadafi's lawyer to set up a meeting with the rapper. Um, They wanted to show him the pictures, but the calls were not returned, and officers did not try to locate him. And then two Hmm. months later, he was killed. Okay. I don't know that I like that, but that's just me. Yeah. Then Edie Amin and Alexander, the bodyguard, told Los Angeles Times in early 1997 that they had never been asked by the police to view photos of possible suspects in the case, despite Mm. having observed the shooting and having seen the men in the car from which the shots were fired. So there's another one of Manning's responses that further proves Phillips's article, but also it just, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. So then... (sighs) It's just, it's not good. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting angry and I need to stop. <laughs> um, so then in an interview with Alexander conducted by the LVMPD on March 19th, 1987, he was shown a series of eight photo lineups, but was unable to identify any suspects from them. EDI Mean claimed to have seen all four men in the vehicle, while Alexander reported seeing the face of the suspect who shot Shakur. And in March 1987, police, when they were interviewing Alexander, um, Alexander said that he only saw the occupants of the shooter's car in, quote, more of a profile, end quote. Okay. Las Vegas police disputed their account of what they had seen and reported to the officers the night of the shooting. Basically, they were like, no, this couldn't have happened. Why can't Mm -hmm. you just get a mugshot of all these people from the side? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't I feel know. feel like that's possible. I feel like that's something that you can do based on every fucking crime show I've ever seen. Um, but regardless, conspiracy theories have run rampant, as you've alluded to, ever mm-hmm. since Tupac was shot. Um, his murder has never been solved. There have been a lot of theories. 
never been solved. Um, what one popular theory is that it was Biggie who was behind the shooting, given his feud with Tupac. Yeah. However, his family produced computerized invoices suggesting that he was recording a song in New York City the night that Tupac was shot. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, his manager, Wayne Barrow, and fellow rapper Lil Cease publicly denied that Biggie had a role in the crime and said that they were with him in the studio the night of the shooting. Yeah. Another one of the popular theories speculated by fans and Haley is that Tupac faked his death. Yep. On his album, Life Goes On, Tupac rapped about his funeral, and his song, I Ain't Matcha" was released two days after he died. There have been several reported potential Tupac sightings since his death, mm-hmm. including one in 2012 by Kim Kardashian. Yep. Also, he, por- he performed at Coachella. Was it Coachella? Can you shut the fuck up for like a People minute? No. I haven't gotten there yet. I think it was a hologram, but he was actually there. <laughs> Haley, oh my god, oh my god, I'm gonna reach through the microphone. Um, <laughs> um, so then in September 2017, I can't with you, um, Shook Knight hinted in an interview that Tupac might still be alive. Quote, when I See, left... that's really fucked up if, like, I'm gonna go with, like, he's dead. <laughs> so that's really fucked up because, like, he was in the car with him. So, like, why would you joke about that? I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think he was, like, joking. He was just, like, uh, uh, listen to the quote and then tell me what you think. Okay, all right. Quote, when I left that hospital, me and Pac was laughing and joking. I don't see how someone can go from doing well to doing bad, said Knight. Adding that, quote, with Pac, you never know, end quote, if he could be alive and living in secret somewhere. I'm going to say it's very possible to go from laughing with somebody and, oh, and being great one day and then losing them it the next. It happens all the time. You're talking to yeah. somebody and the next day they're dead. Yeah. Happy New so, Year. Your husband's dead. So that's very possible. Uh, it's it's heartbreaking, but it's possible. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't say that that is... That wouldn't be the basis of uh, me saying like, oh, yep, he's alive. Yeah. No. But I don't think that he was... I don't think he was fueling that rumor is what I'm saying. Okay. That's the, that's how I took it. I think he was like, yeah, you never know. Like, it's hard to believe. But, I mean, I, who knows? Right. Maybe, maybe he knows something we don't, Haley. Who knows? Um, but then in 2011... I got my own problems with Suge Knight, which we'll talk about. Oh, I can't wait. All right, mm. let's do it. I do too, but I can't remember why. Is that okay? That's fine. Like you he's ever, got a shady, he's got a shifty face. No, no, it's like <laughs> when you look at a celebrity and you're like, I don't like them anymore. I'm not supposed to like them, but I can't remember why. And then it's, it's right. like, oh, Chris Brown punched out. Like re- yeah. Um. So then in 2011, Haaretz, which was an Israeli newspaper, reported that when the FBI released a bunch of documents as a result of a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, they revealed the investigation of the Jewish Defense League for extorting protection money from Shakur and other rappers after making death threats against them. Which I've heard about that one, but also I'm like, eh. I, but it's another theory, and it's a theory yeah. that his death wasn't gang-related. Okay. Um, so then in 2017, Knight claimed that he might have been the target of the attack that killed Tupac. Um, he believes that it was a hit on him as a staged coup in an attempt to seize control of Death Row Records. 
Eh. Possible. Possible. Eh. Then in further into the pop now we're really into the pop culture side of things. In 1997, so a year after Tupac's death, Afeni founded the Shakur Family Foundation, which was later named the Tupac Amaru Shakur Foundation, or TASF, to preserve her son's legacy. The foundation does a lot of the work that Tupac was trying to do, which I think is a great honor to Uh his memory. Um, They sponsor essay contests, charity events, a performing arts day camp for teenagers, um, undergraduate scholarships, like just really trying to do good stuff for kids and kids yeah. in communities. Um, and then it officially opened the Tupac Amaru Shakur Center for the Arts, or TASCA, in Stone Mountain, Georgia, on June 11th, 2005. So then, mm. yeah, nice. But then on November 14th, 2003, a documentary about Tupac titled Tupac Resurrection was released under the supervision of his mom and narrated entirely in his voice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I honestly was surprised that I hadn't heard more about this. And now I can say like that you hadn't either because it was nominated for best documentary at the 2005 Academy Awards. And I didn't know about this. I know it has an eight out of 10 on IMDb, a 97% rating on Google, a 78% rating on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 90%. Wow. And the critical consensus was, quote, there's no question where the director's loyalty lies in this one-sided tribute. However, Tupac's charisma makes this doc an engaging sit, end quote. All right. But regardless, I, I thought that was incredibly impressive. And one thing I will say is that his mother is, understandably so, but she's not about just giving the rights to everybody, which is something we'll get into. Like there have been people who have wanted to make movies about him and she's refused. There have been, there are very few directors that she has trusted in telling his story because she wants it to be done adequate or wanted it to be done adequately. Yeah. Um, But besides documentaries in terms of like movies and TV and whatnot, Tupac was featured as an actor on multiple projects including the 1993 film with Janet Jackson. Um, I forget what it's called now. Um, And people are yelling at me. It's Janet Jackson. It's Tupac. I don't know, man. It's 1993. Fuck, Elliot, help me. Um, Poetic justice. Poetic justice. I got that. I knew it had poetry in it. That's that. I get extra credit. Um, I get no credit. Let's be let's be real. Um, but so he was in Poetic Justice. He did like a guest starring gig on A Different World. He was like a background guest star type thing in Salt and Pepper's um, or Peppa. I it's spelled like that, but Peppa. I yeah I know I'm terrible at this. Like who was that? Haley Patrick Stewart Salt yes. and Peppa. So <laughs> yeah, there the music video for their track with En Vogue. What a man. Um, he mm-hmm. was in that video, but. Besides his acting, whatever you want to call them, achievements, um, there have been multiple fictional portrayals of him on on TV, on the silver screen, on whatever. Yep. And this includes the 2017 biopic, All Eyes on Me, which was named after his fourth studio album. Uh Uh-huh. And the film stars Demetrius Shipp Jr. 
who also went on to play Tupac in BET's The Bobby Brown Story because he looks exactly like him. Okay. And, fun fact, his dad produced the track Toss It Up for Tupac's Don Caluminati album. Interesting. Uh-huh. So, the movie... <sighs> okay. So, it had a lot of problems. Um, okay. During the production, there were, like contract violation lawsuits filed by the producers against the production company there was like a revolving door of directors um the production company morgan creek fucking sued afeni shakur for the music rights for the film um Uh because again she was very choosy in who she wanted to give the rights to her son's music to which was a hundred percent understandable yeah um but despite all of this all Eyes on Me ended up premiering on June 16th, 2017, which would have been Shakur's 46th birthday. Mm-hmm. It got a lot of negative reviews. Oh, okay. It has a 5.8 out of 10 rating on IMDb. It mm-hmm. has an 18% rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 53% audience score. Oh, okay. And the critical consensus is, quote, despite Demetrius Ship Jr.'s fine lead performance, all Eyes on Me is mostly a surface-skimming, by-the-numbers biopic of a larger-than-life icon, end quote. All right. Yeah. But, yeah, people fucking hated it. And <laughs> it just... Whew. Then, in August 2006, we're going back a little bit. We're going to go with books now and other things. Um, uh-huh. I thought this was incredible. Jamal Joseph released an interactive biography of Tupac titled Tupac Shakur Legacy. Yes, it had unseen family photographs, intimate stories, and over 20 removable reproductions of his handwritten lyrics, contracts, scripts, poetry, and other personal papers. Interesting. Like, that's some shit I can get behind. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that type of thing. That's cool. Yeah. So then, as you mentioned before, Mm. on April 15, 2012... Tupac performed his songs Hail Mary and Two of America's Most Wanted as a hologram with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre at Coachella. Oh, my God. At Coachella. Um, The hologram, which was apparently technically a 2D video production, but like still fucking cool and still very much a fucking hologram, Mm -hmm. was created by visual effects company Digital Domain using an optical illusion called Pepper's Ghost. Mm-hmm. and the wall street journal this this i found like that i thought was cool what comes after is wild okay so the wall street journal reported that dr dre and snoop dogg were in talks of a possible tour involving those two rappers and a projection version of shakur which would later be turned down by dr dre but still that would have been amazing i did hear about that yep i actually knew somebody who was at coachella when that happened because nobody knew it yeah was going no to one knew it was coming and it just blew Madness. fucking minds. Yeah. Now holograms are like, everyone's used to it. But like, Yeah, but that was the first like yeah. big one. Yeah. Um, but then after the performance, Tupac's 1998 Greatest Hits album returned to Billboard 200 following the, the, like, the next week for the first yeah. time since 2000. So 12 years later. Jeez. It reached number 129 with 4,000 copies sold um, which is a gain of 571% over the previous week, according to Nielsen Soundscan. Wow. Yeah. 
Tupac's other albums also saw an increase in popularity. Uh, All Eyes on Me went up 95% with a sale of 2,000 copies. Me Against the World went up 53% with the sale of 1,000 copies. His singles also saw a boost in sales, with the biggest seller of the week being Hail Mary, the song his hologram opened with at Coachella. And the second biggest seller was, of course, the number one Billboard Hot 100 hit, California Love, which featured uh-huh. Dr. Dre and Roger Troutman. That had an 11 or 100. Oh, God, I'm dumb. A 119 percent increase in sales, not an 11.9. Um <laughs> But with eleven thousand dollars, uh, oh my god, eleven thousand downloads. Okay, I'm okay. Um, and then his third bestseller was the second of the songs that he performed at Coachella, which was two of America's Most Wanted with Snoop, and that sold nine thousand copies, which meant it had an eight hundred eighty-one percent increase in sales. Whoa, yeah, like it. It was a huge deal. Um, so there's a lot of people at Coachella who were born or infants when yeah. all of this went down. Yeah, I was two. Yeah. Yep. I was very much two. But um, in 2014, a Broadway musical titled Holler If You Hear Me, God, whitest, um, yep. which was based on the lyrics of Tupac, debuted. And the production okay. lasted six weeks before it folded because it was... One of Broadway's worst-selling musicals in recent years. Oh, yeah, well, not you, too happy. I don't about really, that. I don't really know about the cross section of uh, hip hop and rap fans to uh, to Broadway. Although now with Lin Manuel Miranda, I was about to say um, Hamilton. Is, yeah, I know, but this is 2014 that this is happening. Yeah, yeah, Hamilton hadn't come out yet. I I, I thought it was about that time. Um, no, I don't think Hamilton was 2014. Someone's yelling Time at has the moved. camera, doo-dah, doo-dah. Time has moved so fast in the past 10 years that I don't even remember. If but I'm pretty sure it wasn't 2014. Minute, you might miss something. Let's see Not here. what we're talking about today. Uh, it hit off Broadway in 2015. You were right. I was wrong. I don't want to hear it again. Yeah. Um, but regardless not well received so maybe maybe it would it, it should come out now yeah no now that yeah. people are clamoring for it bring it back now um yeah. and then on november 21st 2017 a and e aired a six-part biography presents who killed tupac series which followed civil rights attorney benjamin crump on his investigation into key theories behind tupac's killing wow yep and then it gets it gets even more in depth um, BET placed Tupac at their on their quote most influential rappers of all time list, and okay. they said that quote his confounding mixture of ladies' man, thug, revolutionary, and poet has forever altered our perception of what a rapper should look like, sound like, and act like. In Fifty mm. Cent, Ja Rule, Lil Wayne, newcomers like Freddie Gibbs, and even his rival, his friend turned rival Biggie. It's easy to see that Pac is the most copied MC of all time. There are murals bearing his likeness in New York, Brazil, Sierra Leone, Bulgaria, and countless other places. He even has statues in Atlanta and Germany. Quite Mm. simply, no other rapper has captured the world's attention the way Tupac did and still does, end quote. Yeah. So they just did a ton of my work for me. There's all the art that you can associate with him. Um, Yeah. 
but like just incredibly impressive and they explained it perfectly um and then also then in early 2018 bet aired an episode of death row chronicles which featured former crips leader Dwayne keith d keith davis who admitted that he was riding in the car with the man who killed tupac and he said quote mm. i was a compton kingpin drug dealer I'm the only one alive who can really tell you the story about the Tupac killing, he said. End quote. Okay. Um, however, <laughs> he wouldn't identify the shooter because he he cited street code, um, but he revealed that the shots, quote, came from the back seat, end quote, mm. although he had told federal investigators earlier that the gun was in the hands of his nephew, Orlando Anderson. Um, the guy that got into the fight with Tupac, yep. who is now deceased. Um, okay. This goes directly against a claim by MOB Peru and former guitar bodyguard. What? Guitar? What? Former mm. bodyguard, I can't speak, of Death Row Records, James Mob James McDonald, who claimed that he saw Anderson and the other Southside Crips pull up at 662 in a white Cadillac. So. Oh. Nonetheless, Keith D's revelation resulted in the launch of a change.org petition that called for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department to declare the case cleared. It also led to rumors that new arrest warrants were pending, but the LVMPD mm. shot those rumors down in July, saying that they were reviewing the details of, quote, what remains an open homicide case, end quote. Hmm. Okay. So, meanwhile... In more recent news, while serving time in prison on those rape charges, you know what Tupac did besides get married and release an album? What did he do? He wrote a letter to Madonna. Oh, well. And in that letter, okay. he ended his relationship with her. What? Yup. So they what? were in a relationship, and the letter, which was dated January 15, 1995, at 4.30 a.m., was verified to be authentic by multiple news outlets, including Rolling Stone. And in the letter, Tupac explains why he was ending her relation, their relationship and that it was because of her race. And he said, quote, for you to be seen with a black man wouldn't in any way jeopardize your career. If anything, it would make you seem that much more open and exciting, he wrote. But for mm. me, at least in my previous perception, I felt due to my image, I would be letting down half of the people who made me what I thought I was. I never meant to hurt you, end quote. Tupac also apologized, quote, like you said, I haven't been the kind of friend I know I am capable of being. He said, quote, add, adding, quote, he had, adding that he had, quote, grown mm -hmm. both spiritually and mentally, end quote, and was no longer, quote, the young man with extremely limited experience, the young man with limited experience with an extremely famous sex symbol, end quote. Hmm. Okay. And he did make comments, like, a while before his death, like, being fully against interracial relationships, but he had Weird. since taken those back. But And remember okay. the whole thing with Quincy Jones? He just felt that, like, yeah. black men... And it's a common argument that I've heard, that, like, black men only want white women, they don't want black women, and, like, we're fed these narratives that only white women are beautiful like the only source of beauty is 
being white and having white-like features. And so I can understand. I don't know that I agree. Well, I know that okay. I don't agree. But the when I hear that argument, I can understand that the points they're making and I don't have... I'm, I'm privileged in that I don't get to know what it's like firsthand, so I don't really get to comment on it. Yeah. But, um... Regardless, in July 2017, the letter to Madonna was set to go on auction and was expected to bring in $100,000. In 2018, Madonna brought in a lawsuit against the art consultant and the online auction house behind the auction to stop the sale. And Mm -hmm. a judge threw the suit out, citing a release that she had signed in 2004. And then she went to appeal it and lost her appeal in appellate court in June 2019. So this was recent. Yeah. And the letter was officially auctioned off in July 2019 with partial proceeds from the sale going to breastcancer.org. However, I couldn't find out how much it went for, who won it, any of that, because I'm, I'm guessing like the winner wants to keep that info private. But, like, I tried to find it out, and all of these articles that I could find were just like, oh, it's going on up for auction. And I'm like, yeah, but who won it? Because it's... Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, All right. That's weird. Yeah. But that's not also... That's also not the only item associated with Tupac to be auctioned off. Because in February 2017, the 1996 BMW sedan in which Tupac and Knight were riding when Tupac was shot went on sale on the memorabilia site Moments in Time. Priced at $1.5 million. Jesus. Yes, and it's been fully restored. But still. Goddamn. That's nuts. Yeah, that's a lot. So then, also also this past June, on June 25th, 2019, the New York Times magazine unfortunately listed Tupac Shakur among the hundreds of artists whose material was reportedly destroyed in the 2008 Universal Fire. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's very unfortunate. Um, also this past June, Iowa public servant Jerry Foxhoven, you've definitely heard about this, he led Iowa's Department of Human Services, and he was forced okay. to resign the day after he sent an email to more than 4,000 oh. agency employees <laughs> that included an inspirational quote from Tupac. And Fox Lovin, yeah. who regularly held Tupac Fridays in his office, <laughs> during which the rapper's music was played, told NPR that he used his love of rap from time to time to, quote, reach out to our staff, tell them that I'm human, have a little levity, end quote. And mm. apparently Fox Hoven is very dedicated well, they use dedicated, I'd call it obsessed, um, with Tupac, to Tupac, and celebrates his birthday with Tupac-themed baked goods, mm, marks okay. Tupac milestones. He once wrote to a staff member, quote, I might seem a little down because today is the 22nd anniversary of Tupac's death, end quote. Um, he assigns Tupac as mandatory reading for his ethics class at Drake University, Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, 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 yeah, that happened. He's a bit bit much. He's a bit much. But honestly, like, the main thing that I really loved, like, he seems very harmless. Like, he just seems like a super fan. And he, he talks about, like, things happening, like, kids getting shot and, like, how that's, like, what Tupac was trying to keep 
from happening and was speaking out yeah. against and stuff. So, like, as long as he's, like, walking the walk as, in terms of, oh, this is what Tupac would love. He's not just like, oh, my God, yeah. Tupac. But, yeah. And then one final note on August 6th, 2019. So, literally, like, a couple days ago. Yeah. A miniseries by the Defiant Ones director, Alan Hughes, um, was announced that it would be aired on Fox, or FX, excuse me. And that'll be titled Outlaw the Sagi the Saga of a Fenny and Tupac Shakur. Alright. So no exact word that I could find on when that was coming out, but mm-hmm. be on the lookout because there's more shit coming for Tupac and now well, for a Fenny, who again died in twenty sixteen. Yeah. But yeah. We'll post about it when it comes out. Of course, yes. It's yeah. just like it I, I'm I'm picturing it's gonna be some kind of like American crime story style docu-series or bio-series or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so people will be cast in the role. Hopefully the guy that has played Tupac in the past, um, whose name escapes me now, his dad worked on the track. Um, yes. My brain is You're, just shot. You, it's you just, mentioned it earlier. Yeah, my but my brain, it's it's mush. Um, Demetrius Ship Jr. Hopefully he'll be able to be a part of it i think that would be really cool yeah. he's look him up he is the spitting image of tupac in his headshot he looks like a regular guy you shave his fucking head he's fucking tupac damn yeah it's it's crazy but yeah that is the very crazy very sad very much unsolved story of tupac shakur and his murder all right then allegedly i did that for you Allegedly, murder. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, even oh. though we know. You think you know. Uh, you don't know shit. I know. I know I don't know shit. Um, I only know, like, I mean, obviously I knew, like, the broad strokes of the, uh, of the crime, but I, I've been researching Biggie for a very long time, and, uh, there's a couple parts where it like overlaps with Tupac's career because like we said, yeah. it's like there was a big feud, the East coast, West coast feud. So it was interesting hearing like the parts that overlap from the Tupac point of view. Yeah. So we'll be hearing the other side next week. Yeah, we will. But in the meantime, you can go to our website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. and uh you can email us someone said that they were having trouble finding the email it's crimeculturepod at gmail.com okay and i think it's linked everywhere but i'm gonna double check just to make sure um and then when you find one of our social media you find all of them so they're we're all on facebook there. instagram twitter everything so that's that yeah it's this one was a doozy next week is is. also going to be a doozy lots of doozies lots of doozies lots of doozies but yeah um so thanks for listening and uh we love you we love you and we will see you next tuesday yes we will see you next tuesday (laughs) okay bye okay bye. bye bye